This episode is brought to you by Amazing Grass. Their greens blends include a purposeful combination of fruits, veggies, and greens to nurture your needs. We'll explain more in a bit, but first, let's get into the episode. I think you also just have to be comfortable knowing like everyone's timeline is really different. Ask yourself, do I actually want this thing for me and for myself right now? Like, is this what I want? Or am I just doing this because I think this is what I'm supposed to do? Like, I'm supposed to have this thing. This is supposed to be this way. And it's really not. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Today, our guest is Mariana Hewitt. Mariana is one of the original influencers and was one of the first people to turn her social media side hustle into a huge full-time career. Mariana is also the co-founder of the popular skincare and beauty brand, Summer Fridays. You've probably seen or may have purchased their famous jet lag face mask or their lip butter balm. The brand, which launched in 2018, has won numerous industry awards, including the Allure Best of Beauty Award and a Beauty Design Award. When she's not working on Summer Fridays, Mariana is also the host of the podcast Life with Mariana, which regularly tops the podcast charts in the beauty and fashion category. Mariana, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So before we get into the conversation, we'd like to do a warm-up with a lightning round so we can get to know you a bit better. Quick questions, quick answers. You ready? Ready. First job you got paid for? I was a hostess at a restaurant. Where'd you grow up? Ohio and Germany. We're going to get into that. That is not everyone's usual answer. What languages do you speak? Only English. What's one product you can't live without? I would say currently Summer Friday's jet lag mask, of course. Ooh, who would play you in a movie? Ooh, that's a good one. When I was growing up, a lot of people told me I look like Thandie Newton, so I'll go with her. Oh, that's a great one. What is your favorite place to travel? I love being home in Los Angeles, so I always enjoy coming back here, but I think anyone feels that way about where they live. I hope. Who is one person you would want to sit next to at a dinner party, living or dead? It's not a famous person, but it's actually one of my grandparents. So my grandparents passed away when I was really young. And you just asked, what are the languages I speak? And my grandma only spoke Vietnamese and I only speak English. So I would love to have a conversation with her and be able to speak with each other if she was alive. That's a great answer. What is the best piece of time management advice you'd give someone? Don't overcommit yourself. My next question was going to be, how do you manage anxiety? And I think those two might be linked. My most recent thing is I just read a book called Calm Your Mind with Food. It's from an amazing doctor and it's about foods that you can eat or not eat that can help your anxiety. And so I think we talk about a lot of external things you can do, but it's also what we're eating every single day. So that's a new thing that I'm hoping to incorporate. I also have anxiety. What is one food I should eat and one food I shouldn't eat? Well, it has a lot of things in there that we shouldn't eat, but really as you're drinking, I don't know if it's a cup of coffee or tea, 
She was saying that she used to drink like eight cups of coffee a day and really limiting our caffeine intake and opting for more teas and matchas over coffee. And if you do have a coffee, one coffee a day. And so it's hard. Like I already had my coffee today. We have a lot to get through. And so that's probably the hardest switch to make. And then just incorporating more like proteins, fruits and vegetables, you know, like what everybody says. Right when I asked you that question and I did take a sip of tea, although I am a huge coffee drinker, this was actually me making the choice not to have another coffee. It is so hard. It is my biggest vice. I I mean, maybe not my biggest, but the biggest one I can't quit. What is your guilty pleasure? Oh, my guilty pleasure, honestly, is like scrolling on my phone. One of my New Year's resolutions every single year is less screen time. And my usual excuse is, oh, it's my job like to scroll on social like I want to see. But at some point, it's not. And I'm just scrolling for fun. So less of that. Let's get into it. And I do want to go to like mental health and social and it being your job. But I want to start off with how you grew up. You mentioned you grew up in Ohio and Germany. Tell me about that and tell me the impact of kind of your family on you. Yeah, so it's definitely not a typical upbringing. So my parents divorced when I was really young and I was born in Germany. So after my parents separated, my mom went back to Germany and I stayed with my dad in the States. And a lot of people, you know, typically when their parents separate, they stay with the mom or they have some sort of split time. And it was a bicoastal co-parenting situation. I think in today's world, not that it would be easy, but it would be easier with Wi-Fi, iPads, technology, cell phones. At the time, there's none of that. And so I really had to be present in whatever it was that I was doing. And so when I would travel to Germany and I would fly by myself, I would have my Walkman and I would be really independent and on a flight alone. And then once I got there, there really wasn't a way for me to stay in touch with my friends back home. International calls were expensive. There was time changes. And on TV, everything's in German or there's very few American television programs. And so it taught me from a really young age to be independent, but also, you know, immerse myself into different cultures where I was and to be a little bit uncomfortable in some scenarios. And so because I was around adults and different people and different cultures from a really young time growing up, I think even though it was difficult for me as a child, I think it's helped me a lot as an adult. And so I appreciate it now, even though at the time it seemed like I just want to hang out with my friends and watch TV. But now I really appreciate my unique upbringing. So what's interesting about your career is that it's still such a developing path. But I I think when people say, now, when they want to go into content creation or, or social media, people have an idea of what that means. When you started, you really were one of the first people to kind of create that imprint of making it not just something that you do in your spare time, but showing how you can monetize it and build it out and create a career. How do you think you got into it. You can talk about obviously your your early career, but also just thinking through connecting that type of child that you describe yourself as, right? Independent, doing things that were different, not having kind of this traditional upbringing and very multicultural. How do you think that went into charting out your own career? I hadn't really thought about like my childhood, for example, of like what that meant to who I am today, but I think it has made me okay with being uncomfortable or trying new things. And so you mentioned earlier, what was my first job? And my first job was working as a hostess at a restaurant and I was 14 years old. And being in those scenarios, whether it's working at a restaurant or flying by myself, you have to end up 
talking to different people all the time. You're trying to make customers happy, whether you work in the service industry, you're making small talk with people on a flight. If you're traveling internationally, you're talking to people from different cultures. And so I think it's made me comfortable with being a little bit uncomfortable in things and being okay with change and that that's okay. And I think like a couple of things that I remember growing up is now like a handheld camera is like vintage and people make cute aesthetic videos, but we really did have one at home growing up. And I use that to like interview my family and to show what they were doing and what they were making for dinner. And then when I was living in Europe at the time, H&M, Zara, Mango, these were stores that existed in Europe long before they came to the States. And this affordable fashion that I was able to get when I was in the summers in Germany, I would do all my back to school shopping and I would take those clothes and come back to the States with clothes that didn't exist here in America, where they would have been way more expensive if I bought them in the States. And I loved being like, I found this thing. I found this brand. I love it so much. Let me tell all my friends and people that I know about it. And so I feel like I always loved sharing and influencing others. I just didn't know at the time that that was a job that you could have. Well, no one did. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I was really young at that point. But how did you go about creating it? Like, this is something I really want to talk about because I think that there is a version of trying to do kind of what you have done that people look at and they're like, I like to post stuff on social media, right? Like I'm an influencer. And that is very different from doing what you have been one of the first people to do, which is turn it into a full-fledged career that you have used as a launching pad. When you first started to think about social and content creation, did you have a blueprint in mind or was all of this kind of just taking it as it comes? It was so new at the time. You have to think back to 2012 when I started. Instagram did not even exist yet. So there's YouTube and there's blogs and there's very, very few creators at this time, maybe a handful of people. And they're definitely not really monetizing off of it yet. But you're starting to see that, okay, maybe you get a free pair of jeans or they want to send you a free mascara. And that alone was like, oh my gosh, like, If I create this blog post, they want to send me something for free that I would usually buy. And all I have to do is give my opinion or review or share this. And so that was really interesting to me. But the word influencer, I think at this time for what it was, was not even what people were called. You were a blogger, you were a YouTuber, and you were either strictly fashion or you were strictly beauty. And it was very separated amongst like the groups of people. It's really different today. And so I thought this is everything I love to do. I love to share my recommendations. I love to create content. I've always been really interested in video and photo and books and creating content, which I I guess it was like, you know, media at the time to share with other people that I could influence them in some sort of positive way that was helpful or inspiring or they found a new product or something. And so it was very different at the time. And so I was working full time and then I was creating content on nights and weekends I would post that. And then Instagram came around and Instagram was like a secondary platform for many of us at the time. So you would post your primary content on blogs or YouTube, and then you would use Instagram to push people to go look at your YouTube video. It wasn't until 2014 where you could create content on Instagram only, and that could be your primary platform. And it was really when that started to take off that I could be an influencer full time. I've heard you say that when you started out, you had a scarcity mindset thinking you had to say yes to everything or the opportunities would disappear. How has that thinking evolved for you? And what advice would you give people starting off early in their career to setting up that really tricky boundary 
between wanting to push yourself, but also it's not sustainable? At the time, there was definitely more of a scarcity mindset because I went from having a full-time job to creating content full-time. And I wanted to make sure I was making the same amount of money or more. So if you're a new creator and you're going about the same way, I would make sure you have enough in savings so that you don't feel like you have the scarcity mindset that you have to do everything because you're waiting for the next job to come in. So definitely give yourself like a little nest egg that you feel comfortable with. And even though I've been doing this for over a decade now, I still have a scarcity mindset and I still get nervous about saying no to something. It's just the longer you do it, the more comfortable you get doing that. And it's hard as a creator because at the beginning, the scarcity mindset came from there's not a lot of brands working with creators today. You want to say yes to opportunities because now brands have full influencer marketing departments and budgets. But at the time, it was like really having to convince brands to work with you. So you wanted to say yes to everything because there wasn't a lot of jobs, but there weren't a lot of people also. So you were getting more opportunities. Now there are way more opportunities. And there's so many brands and there's so many different avenues that you can make money as a creator, but then there's also more creators. So the scarcity mindset comes from there's also more competition today. So there's really no way to kind of get rid of that scarcity mindset, but just not overcommitting yourself to the point where you feel like you are burnt out or you're creating too much. But it's hard because this is your livelihood and it isn't like a full-time job where you have a set salary and benefits and you don't know when the next job is coming in. I think that's really hard. Going into 2024, I've started to realize two things at the very same time. My day-to-day, probably like a lot of you guys balancing work and kids and family and trying to make time for yourself and your partner, it's unpredictable and it's a lot all the time. Also, we need to take care of ourselves because if we don't prioritize our health and wellness, nothing else is going to matter. So I've been focused on smaller, actionable changes in my day-to-day routine that can have a huge difference over time. And one of the things that can help with that is amazing grass. Each blend is gluten-free, plant-based, and uniquely formulated to help you feel amazing. It's a combo of fruits, veggies, and greens to support your overall health and wellness. So try adding one scoop to your morning smoothie, juice, or water. They also have different blends that do different things. So they've got a berry-flavored blend with antioxidants and a digestion-focused blend that could be very helpful in the new year, which supports a healthy gut. You can subscribe to save up to 20%. Start the year off right by stocking up on these feel-good blends at AmazingGrass.com. That's A-M-A-Z-I-N-G-G-R-A-S-S.com. Hearing you talk about this and also in the beginning talking about anxiety, I'm struck by that. And I I always go back and forth because social media is part of our job, definitely to a much lesser extent than yours. At the same time, I recognize how I I sit there and I'm like, is this actually good for me? Like, am I hurting my mental health? And I, I think we all have that feeling to some extent. You've been open about talking about how I think many of us have felt societal pressure for women, especially thinking about like their own timelines, where they're at in terms of what's depicted on their own feeds, whether it's seeing other people buying a house, feeling like they have it all together, presenting this image of like these beautiful wedding pictures or pictures with their kids. And I think it adds on or it can feel like it adds on more pressure to something that 
isn't right for everyone, shouldn't be like a one-stop-fits-all, and many times is certainly not the reality behind it. You've been really open about having your own version of a timeline, kind of rejecting that. How did you experience that? And how have you learned to kind of shield yourself from what could be really hard peer pressure? I think it's easier for me because a lot of the creators that I see their content and I'm like, wow, what a beautiful moment. I know them in real life. So I have the benefit of actually hearing them be like venting about something or feeling frustrated with something and seeing now, you know, I'm in my late 30s and I've been friends with a lot of these creators since we all started over a decade ago. And I've seen where what looked like happiness and everything online in their 20s, now they're coming out and saying, I actually was having a really hard time in my 20s, whether it was personally, professionally, in their relationships, in their life. And they're like, it was so much more difficult. And I think those people being transparent is helpful with other people. And I think you just have to know like this is people's content online. So whether whatever they're sharing, just know this is like a very small bit of their day. And I think you also just have to be comfortable knowing like everyone's timeline is really different and ask yourself like, do I actually want this thing for me and for myself right now? Like, is this what I want? Or am I just doing this because I think this is what I'm supposed to do? Like, I'm supposed to have this thing. Like, this is supposed to be this way. And it's really not like everyone's life is so unique and so different. Even thinking back to like my childhood, right? Living with my dad, my mom living in another country, like that was, you know, quote unquote, abnormal to other people. But to me, that was normal. And now that I'm an adult, I love that I had that, even though it was unique and not traditional. And so I think that has given me the comfortability to know, like, just because something's not normal doesn't mean it's not good and it's not right. It's just like what my own life looks like. And if you find yourself, looking at social and looking at these pictures or scrolling on Pinterest and what you're looking at makes you feel worse instead of better or inspired and it's making you feel anxious, then maybe it's okay to mute somebody. It's okay to say, you know, looking at these types of pictures and content really isn't serving me and helping me right now. So I'm just going to mute this person while they're in this phase of sharing this type of content. I can love them from afar. And I'm just going to have this boundary with myself that I don't feel pressured for these certain things. It's really challenging, but I think people talking about their different timelines and things that work for them is also really helpful. You mentioned when you venture into kind of like doom scrolling, where it goes from this being work to this not being work, if you're honest with yourself. What are some strategies that like you put in to protect your own screen time? Yes. So I was just looking at my phone. There's an app that I downloaded called App Block. And I had like the time limit set on my phone, but I just kept being like, okay, 15 more minutes, 15 more minutes. Okay. Well, that doesn't really work. So on App Block, there's like a normal mode or there's a strict mode where then you have to put in a pin. So not only does it block the apps for a certain amount of time, so you can do like a time limit, you can do certain times of day, but if you try to block it in strict mode and open it, it'll tell you how many times you've tried to open it and you can give yourself a little message. And then if you really want to bypass that again, then you have to unlock the app and then you have to put in a pin. So it's just a couple extra steps where sometimes I think we just have a habit of opening your phone and you just tap on Instagram because you're waiting for an elevator, you're stopped at a stoplight, you're waiting to pick up a coffee and it just is a natural thing to do. So app block has helped me a lot. And then I also moved Instagram and all my social off of the main screen of my iPhone. So it's actually on another screen inside of a folder. So I have to really scroll and then go into a folder. So I think by setting myself up to have these like mini roadblocks on my phone has made it less of a habit of just tapping and opening on a social app. That is a really actually helpful answer. Maybe the most helpful answer I've heard anyone give on that topic. 
you talked about this a little bit, but like you're doing a lot of, or at least what appears is like, you know, one day you're doing this, the next day you're doing something else. How do you set or do you set routines, schedules, or are you someone that just can be like in the moment and still be productive? I need the routine. I'm a routine person. So if you are self-employed or you have your own business, you have the luxury of setting things up the way that you like. It doesn't mean you have a lot of free time. It just means you get to schedule things in a way that works for you or for your teams. Luckily for me, I set up my types of work by each day. So each day is kind of set on a certain like focus on summer Fridays. So all summer Fridays, meetings and calls go on this day. I have a podcast day where I'm either guest on podcasts or I'm recording episodes, editing, doing ads and intros, scheduling guests, prepping episodes is another day. Another day is focused on like creating content. So I know that morning I have to get up, do my hair and makeup because I'm going to like be shooting stuff that day. And then I have emails every single day. So I still am working on all things every day, but my like mindset going into each day is that just from interviewing so many people on my podcast, so many people that I look up to said that that's what they did. So it was something I started to incorporate. And so that's really helpful for me. And then I also time block on my schedule within the day. And so that's really helpful for me too, to allow myself blocks of time and not to try to overcommit myself. Like I can tell sometimes I'm trying to put too much in a day. So I say, okay, what absolutely has to be done today? We'll go in this day. If it can't, let me push it to the next day and find a block of time because I really do try to work within working hours. So between nine and five, I do a lot. Like in that time, I'm very productive, but I have time for my morning routine before work. And then at five o'clock, I'm wrapping up and then I have my evening. So it's not about like letting it bleed into too many of these extra hours, which is if you're self-employed or have a business, it's really easy to do that, especially in the early days. But I've gotten a much better hang on it now. Okay, I have one question on that, two questions, and then I want to go into Summer Fridays. The first question is, that sounds great. And also, I'm horrible at our own social media because I'll be like, it's seven o'clock. I worked all day. I don't really want to take a picture of myself in this environment. So when you're doing content creation, are you also blocking out like those times outside of those working hours where you are capturing other parts of your day? It's really fast for me to like create content. Like for me, it, it's not like um, I think. Yeah, it's not really like I don't have. It could take me five minutes to take a picture if like I have the right lighting and like the right setting or something. So I allow myself more time to do my sponsored content because I want to create really great work for brands. So that's when I like really allow myself like hours to create a single reel and edit and the voiceover and everything is perfect for that. But in my own like non-sponsored content, it's very much on the fly. It's not really like planned. I think I used to do that back in, you know, when I first started, because it was very like you had to have a professional camera and everything had to be very glossy and editorial looking. And now iPhone pictures are great and I love it. And stories makes it really easy to like post more frequently too. But if you're somebody who has a challenging time with that, like don't do that at seven o'clock at night when you don't want to do it. Like what is your most productive time of day? If you feel your most productive at but you know, nine to 11 in the morning, maybe just allow yourself one time a week to take a bunch of content in that time and then schedule it out for the rest of the week. So you're not worried about like, oh, I have to work and I need to create content. Okay, let's get into Summer Fridays. You and your co-founder, Lauren, who, who's also a, a beauty influencer, you decided to come together and start it. And you decided to launch it with one product. What was the thinking behind that? We were so used to be on the receiving end of testing and trying so many products. I would open a box from a brand and there would be 10 things. And I'm like, I don't even know what to 
try. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm just not going to try anything because there's just too many options here. And everything started to kind of like look the same. I felt really overwhelmed. It was too much. And so when we launched the brand, we were like, let's just launch and focus on one product. And Jet Lag Mask is amazing. So if you guys haven't tried it, it's a mask, moisturizer, eye cream. It kind of just does it all. It has the national eczema seal. It's fragrance-free. It's like, it's really versatile for so many different people to use. And it's still a best-selling product for us. And it's still the best-selling face mask at Sephora, which is really incredible six years later. And at the time, you have to think, when we were working on the brand, it was 2016. When we launched this 2018, this is the world of millennial pink every time you open your Instagram feed. And being creators for so long, you are experts in social media. You understand marketing. You know how to sell a product to people. You understand photography, what stands out. And so a lot of times I would have a face mask and it would be in a jar and it was rolling all over the place when I was trying to take a photo. And so we opted for an aluminum tube which happens to be sustainable and recyclable. We thought if you're taking a flat lay of this, it's not going to roll around and it's really photogenic. And so when we got the packaging, we were taking pictures on our iPhone. This is before Instagram stories. We're like, okay, the text needs to be larger because you need to see the logo and a flat lay if you take a picture on Instagram. And if it's blue, it goes with like this story of hydration. It kind of, you understand that when you see it, but also it really stands out. And when the year we launched, it was like you couldn't open Instagram without seeing this blue tube all over your feed. And so we took the expertise that we had from being creators to start a brand. And it's high risk, high reward when you launch a brand with one product, because if it works, great. If it doesn't work, then maybe you never end up launching your second. It was easier for Sephora to launch our brand because we only had one product. So they only had to buy into one thing to find shelf space for one product. And here we are six years later. What's been the most challenging part about building out a product brand. And and I say it that way because you've built out your own brand. So you've already built a brand, but building out something that is really your own product base. It's really challenging because in skincare, you are delivering on a promise that you're saying to somebody. You're saying this will help with hyperpigmentation and dark spots. This will improve your skin, how it feels. And it's really results-based where you're thinking about makeup or fragrance or something. It's a little bit different. Like you can go into something like, do I like how this smells or I don't? Okay, great. Like did this hairspray work on my hair? Cool. But like skin is much different. So it takes a lot more credibility and trust to build consumers in the skincare space specifically because people are really nervous about trying something new for their skin. They want to make sure that it works, that it's safe for their skin, that it's something that they want to use. And so we have an amazing team that we work with and we really knew that we don't have an ego in knowing there's things we don't know. So what we do know is social and marketing and photography. What we don't know is product development. Um, We don't know a lot of these things. So let's work with the best people who can bring our ideas to life and building out that team is really important. And at the beginning, you're doing so many different jobs and, you know, later then you can start growing your team, but growing a team and doing a lot at the beginning is definitely challenging because there's a lot that you don't know. And it's probably better that you don't know everything you're eventually going to have to do when starting a, a company, because I think it could be really overwhelming. So it's just like taking one step at a time. How have you found some of those people? The first couple people we found was all through word of mouth. So it's really great. Like once you find one place, you can say, hey, I'm looking for someone for regulatory. And they say, oh, I have a friend who can do this. And then that person recommends you to somebody else for fulfillment. And then that person knows somebody else. The beauty industry is so small. Everybody kind of ends up bouncing around to different places. And so that's great. And then when you go to different conferences and you're speaking and there's opportunities, like 
Women's Wear Daily, we went to the CEO summit. It was a couple months after we launched. I had spoke there and someone had came up to me and he's like, oh, I'm the CEO of Drybar. I'd love to give you my card. If you ever need anything in the future, like, just let me know. I'm here to be like a resource. I was like, okay, great. Like, so nice to meet you. I love Drybar. Fast forward a few years later, we're in a CEO search and his name comes up. <laughs> but I had met him in person before a few years ago. And by meeting people, you never know like what one person you might find down the line. And then we ended up hiring him. He's amazing. He brought on our president and she's amazing. And then she had people she worked with previously. And so it's kind of like this domino effect. And now we've built the most amazing team. Like we get a lot of credit because we're the forward-facing founders. You see us in pictures and social and interview, but it is the team of people that's behind the brand. Like they do this day in and day out. They are the best of the best. And it's about building a team of people around you who are smarter than you, who can help you, who can help bring your vision to life and really giving them the autonomy to do their jobs and, and trusting them with your baby. It was hard at first when we started growing to let go of a few things. And then now that I have, I'm like, wow, like they're doing these things so much better than I could have ever done. And I really trust their judgment. I want to ask the next question with a caveat that it's meant as a compliment. You seem very normal and you work in social media as a big part of your job. Whether it was like starting off as an influencer or launching Summer Fridays using that expertise. Just how? Like social can be so toxic. And then how do you kind of protect yourself? I am 37. So that definitely comes with age. I was sitting somewhere the other day and I was eating and there was a couple teenage girls behind me. And they were talking and they were talking about something about social and their friends and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, wow, to be a teenager today and have to deal with not only just the difficulties of being young and school and all this stuff, but the drama that comes with social media on top of that. I was like, I couldn't imagine being a parent today and having to navigate this because it seems so challenging. And to them, this is their whole life. Like their whole life is what's happening online and what their friends are posting and what they're watching and seeing. And so I think I feel that way now because I'm in my late 30s. I think if I was in my 20s or my teens, it would be really difficult. So I think it's, you know, limiting what you see, leaning on adults to hopefully give you good boundaries and advice around that and knowing that there's life outside of social. But I, it's hard to say when you're younger and then that's your whole world. So I think for me, I'm okay with it because I'm older. But I think if I was younger and I was doing this all over again 15 years ago, it would be much harder to navigate. I think that perspective is a big part of it. Two more questions. We have one question from our newsletter audience. They want to know, how often do you take inventory of your career and where you're at personally and professionally? And then how do you actually take action on those follow-ups? I take inventory once a year. So I do like a big like vision board aspirations, my intentions. I like to call my goals intentions because if I'm intending to do something, I feel like it's a lot gentler with myself than to say an absolute goal. And then if I don't hit this goal, feel like I failed. So it's my intention to create content five days a week. It's my intention to do these things. But as long as my intention is there and that I want to do that, I can be like softer with myself because I don't want to be so like rigid. Then I'll go back and basically like once a month or quarterly, I'll look in on the things that I intended for myself. And I say, okay, like, am I on track with this? Yes or no? Great. I'll keep doing this. Sometimes I look at stuff and I'm like, why on earth did I put that on there? I don't even want this anymore. Let me remove this because I don't have space for that. And this year, what I did was I really just focused on one big intention for each bucket of my life, like Summer Fridays, creator, my wellness and big dreams for myself. So 
if I don't have time and I don't have the mental capacity to go down this entire list, am I doing something or did I do something today or this week or this month that helps this one big goal in each area of my life? And that's how I've managed to be not so overwhelmed by the amount of things. Like if you make one amazing intention for yourself this year and by the end of the year, you feel like you completed that or worked towards that or made a goal towards that, amazing. You don't have to do 50 things in the year. There's not this big inventory like you have to redo your entire life every single year. And I also think it's okay to have an intention that you want to change or something that you're working towards and that it doesn't have to happen in this calendar year. So there are things that I've put on my vision board and my intentions that have carried over for five years, for many years. Each year, it hasn't happened yet, but I am working towards those things happening. And so it's fine that it continues to carry over. And so I think I've just overall kind of like softened my approach to goal setting and made it more about intention setting and the things that I'm working towards. And that's been really helpful for me. Final question. Who's someone else we should have on the show? Jamie Kern Lima is amazing. So she was the founder of It Cosmetics. They sold to L'Oreal for over a billion dollars. She had a, a book. It's actually behind me. One of these yellow ones right here. It's called Believe It. And you see this headline, this story. You think it's all amazing. But she talks about how she had to fight her way to get into Sephora and Ulta. They said no to her many, many times over the years. How hard it was working on QVC and her retailers and what that did to her physical health. She's really incredible. She is a ray of light, the sweetest, kindest person has accomplished so much, but will continue to help other people. And so she would be a great one to have on. Mariana, thank you so much. Congratulations on everything. And thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise. 